Welcome back, everybody, to episode number 30 of the Zach Evans Podcast. Excited to have you with us. This week, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs, exploring something that we're going to call the implications of ignorance, or why we have a personal responsibility to seek out knowledge. And I think this will be really interesting because we kind of explore what it is in us that God has given us that allows us to acquire knowledge. Um, The proverb calls it the soul. And why doing that, the ability to do that, is something that actually kind of defines us as humans. And, you know, therefore we kind of have a personal responsibility. We definitely have a personal responsibility to seek out that knowledge because we have this ability to do it. And there's an implication if we don't. And the idea is that we're ignorant by birth. That's a condition, but ignorance in life is a choice. And so we're kind of going to explore, you know, why we should be lifelong learners, why we should try to have a clear and certain perception of God and His will and Scripture and uh, even the natural world, ourselves, others, our spouse, that type of thing. And there's actually really big implications if you're not the kind of person who predicates their behavior on information and instruction. Because if your behavior isn't informed, then essentially you are determining what you do and what you don't do by ignorance. And nobody would say it like that. We kind of dress it up in fancy lingo and say things like, well, you know, I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. Or we might even, you know, spray some uh, Christian lingo on it and say something like, I'm just being led by the Holy Spirit. It's like, ah, I mean... Maybe we should be led by the instruction of the Holy Spirit from His Word. So I think this will be interesting. I think it'll be helpful to you. And we'll go ahead and jump right into this episode entitled, The Implications of Ignorance. Enjoy. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 2. And we'll read verses 2 and 3. Proverbs 19 verse 2 says, Also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Um, I've taught this before under a different title and heading and maybe a slightly different emphasis, Um, but I want us to explore this passage. So I've said before, and I don't want to have to say this every time I teach out of the book of Proverbs, but that you have to just be careful when you are expounding on a proverb to make sure that you are being doctrinal and that your application is found other places in, in, in Scripture. You, you need to make sure that you're, you're doing that. I've heard a, a lot of bad theology come out of Psalms, Proverbs, some of the, the more poetic. Job, for example, Job's friends say something and people lift it out of, you know, uh, their, their, their conversation and say, oh, we're going <laughs> to basically create a doctrine by what one of Job's bitter, bitter friends say. I mean, you, you couldn't do that in Exodus with Pharaoh. Like random things that Pharaoh said, just pull them out and say, okay, well, obviously God approves of this message. Like God doesn't follow up every statement in the Bible with, I'm God and I approve this message, right? So Proverbs, you got to be careful. But this is one that is so obviously true and it breaks down so beautifully. And we find it all throughout this ideal, pervasive all throughout the Scripture. And it's just obviously true from a human nature standpoint. But I think it's really important that we understand the progression here because even, all right, you might even say especially Christians are in danger of falling into this trap that we see here in these two verses. I want us to explore and expound on this proverb 
and uh, this discussion will be entitled The Implications of Ignorance. So basically what we're going to do is we're going to take this we're going to take this passage and we're going to split it up into four statements and we're going to explain each statement, okay? So the first statement is found in verse 2, the first half of verse 2 where it says, also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. That the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. Now, sometimes we can get tripped up over peculiar words in the Bible and we can define them too narrowly. And that's, this is a good example of that in the word soul. So what is the soul? Well, you could define the soul a lot of different ways. But essentially, the soul is what differentiates man from animal. Like that's essentially what the soul is in its essence. It's the thing that you have that an animal does not have that makes you you. So, for example, the Hebrew word means breathing creature. Actually, can mean animal as well, so you've got to watch how it's translated. But but when it's used in an abstract form here, it essentially means vitality. So this is the life of man. It's his being. In this context, we might say that it's his mind or his intellect. So um, it, it's interesting that our culture has a different time nail, has a difficult time nailing down what it means to be human. So the theory of evolution has a lot to do with that, right? But even even within the theory of evolution. Even within that context, if you accept the entire premise, at some point, people who, uh, who espouse that belief understand that consciousness at some point emerged. And they ha don't have the faintest clue, like how that happened or why that's possible. I mean, why, why are you conscious and an ape as far advanced as they are is not conscious in the same way that you are? And one of the things that makes your consciousness uh, so interesting is your ability to acquire knowledge, especially before something happens, right? So you don't always have to have some type of physical impetus, like, I whacked my head against the wall. I probably shouldn't do that again. I mean, animals are capable of that. So it's all kind of amazing tests that we do with animals. Even with mice, I mean, think about that. We take mice and we watch their behaviors when we give them certain stimuli. Uh, for example, there's a really cool experiment that they did with mice where they put them in a, in a box and they have to essentially, uh, I believe they can only go forward. And they tried to figure out what it is that motivates a mouse, right? So they put the smell of cheese, they pumped the smell of cheese into the front of the box. And the mice would obviously go towards the smell of the cheese. But then they would pump the smell of a cat in behind them without the cheese in front. And they were more motivated to leave. So they, they, they would run faster and run away more so from the cat than they would towards the cheese. But then the most optimal state for the mouse, ironically, was cat in the back, cheese in the front. And so he had something to run away from and something to run to. Okay, well, so we can watch how animals behave and we can learn something from that. And then you can even, and this is kind of the scary part to some extent, you can transpose some of that from them to you. That's really scary. Uh, Jordan Peterson makes the case, or makes the case, he makes the observation that serotonin inhibitors work on lobsters. They have the same basic neurological structure as humans. Their neurology works in a similar way to yours works. So you can give a lobster antidepressants and it works. So for example, they fight. What, what happens with lobsters is they fight and obviously then an alpha lobster and a beta, beta lobster emerges and the alpha 
puffs out his chest, his shoulders go back, and he's walking around with his, you know, big old hands. He's like, you know, the, the top lobster. And the other lobster, literally his posture changes. He slumps over and he goes off to the side. He retreats from everybody. But if you take the defeated lobster and you give him antidepressants, his chest will puff back out. He'll stand back up straight and he'll walk back into the fold. Like, what's up? Like, that's insane that that works. My point is that in our culture, we have done a really good job in a way, and I mean that kind of ironically, of showing how interconnected nature is and how many things uh, are in harmony, you might say, or transpose from animal life to human life. Okay, so we can draw those comparisons all day long. Here's something that you have that not a single animal on earth has, regardless of how advanced they are. Look at dolphins. Dolphins are able to communicate. Um, this will not make it in the podcast, but they're one of the few animals who has uh, physical relationships with other things just for pleasure. Like, that's crazy. Like, that, that's, literally, that's literally insane. Um, apes, we saw a video. My brother showed me a reel last night of an ape standing in a zoo. He's standing behind a woman reporter as she's talking. Maybe you've seen this. She's talking, and it's an orangutan standing behind her, and he's smiling. He's just standing there, and it zooms in on his face, and he goes, it's so creepy. And the thing says, if this thing gets loose, we're all dead. Like, that's what it says. And that felt about right. But you think about the most advanced creature you can possibly imagine. Here's something that they don't have. They don't really have a soul. They don't have the ability to acquire knowledge before it's needed. Not really. They have the ability to read, react, adapt. They have instinct. They have impulse. But they don't have this intellect, you might say. Okay, so then here's the problem. The problem is a lot of humans don't use their intellect. That's kind of the issue. And that's kind of what this verse is saying, and we're going to see that as we move forward. So the soul is what differentiates you from an animal. It is that, in a sense, to use a similar word, that which animates your being, your conscience. It's the thing within you that is the capacity for you to gain knowledge and maybe even plan for the future, right, which is pretty, pretty incredible. All right, so the next word we need to define is the word knowledge, that the soul be without knowledge, it's not good. This is really important. The Webster's 1828 defines knowledge as a clear and certain perception of that which exists or of truth and fact. It's a clear and certain perception of that which exists or of truth and fact. So I think we would all agree that a certain and clear perception of that which exists or of truth and fact is good. Like, that's really good. Like, you probably need that, okay? But the proverb states the negative. Listen to me. It states the negative. The negative is this. If our soul, if our mind, if our intellect, if our life is without a clear and certain perception of that which exists or of truth and fact, that is not good. That's the statement of the proverb. It is not good for you to be without a clear and certain perception of that which exists or is truth and fact. And this is really relevant, I think, in our age because what we've done, I've explained this a few times, but it's important to understand is one of the biggest changes ever in the history of the world is happening at this very moment, which is our epistemology, which is our theory of knowledge. It's literally what the word means. Our theory of knowledge is changing. The way that we acquire, process, and understand alleged facts is completely different than previous generations. And that's why you see a lot of this weird stuff happening and you go, this doesn't make any sense to me. It's because we're in a time of transition. Now, it's going to be a very short-lived time because the current 
postmodern system is so volatile that it will collapse under its own weight. There's no other option. It's kind of like it's kind of like intellectual communism in a way, right? That you as an individual can kind of send this is actually this makes sense to me. So it's like intellectual communism. So the reason why communism fails is because it it dares to assume that a few people can account for every possible contingency, right? Well, we, we can just plan society. It's like, no, you can't. You have to delegate that out because you don't have the processing power to figure it out. Here's a scary thought. This is a really scary thought. What if you could, what if you could combine <clears throat> radical egalitarianism slash communism with the powers of artificial intelligence? So that just occurred to me. Then you have the processing power that communism has always lacked just thought of that. That's actually pretty crazy. So the reason why communism fails is because 10, 20, 30, 40, 1,000 people can't plan for every possible situation in society. They, they, they can't plan, uh, how do we feed everyone? No, you let the market do it. And you take care of those who kind of fall by the wayside. That's, that's our system, essentially. Let the market do it. All right. Well, what if you had, some, so I've made the case that the only kind of person, and you see this in the book of Acts, the only type of communism, it's not obviously atheistic communism, that has ever worked is the kind that rises up organically within a culture where everybody self-sacrifices for one another. We see that in the book of Acts. But central planning always fails, right? So you see in the book of Acts is that they had all things common. Well, what's interesting, and we're kind of maybe getting off track, but this is a good sidebar because we're trying to figure something out is the thing that communism has always lacked is the ability to account for everything because of a lack of processing power. But what if you combined that goal with the help of artificial intelligence that could then help you centrally plan an entire society? Actually makes a lot of sense to me and is very concerning. So we can all freak out together. So anyway, but uh, let's see, we're talking about knowledge. So postmodernism. So in our current society, we've changed the way that we believe knowledge is acquired and understood. And essentially what we've done is we've gone from the belief that a clear and certain perception of that which exists or is truth in fact is possible, knowable, attainable, and you rationally can understand something as true. That's what we have believed for a really long time. And that's essentially modernism and pre-modernism all wrapped up into one. Now why you believe those things are what they are and how you believe that knowledge is acquired and what you believe it's predicated on changes between modernism and postmodernism. But in post premodernism, but in postmodernism we see a shift, which is that a clear and per certain perception of that which exists or of truth and fact is not actually possible. That's what the current belief is, that you actually can't know what's true. And the reason you can't know what's true is because again, your mind is finite and the possible amount of interpretations and truths allegedly are infinite. And so you can't possibly have confronted every possible truth to determine that the one that you believe is the right one. That's a really, really good criticism, actually, and we, we've dealt with that some. But it's really important that we understand that we reject that belief. And one of the reasons why Christianity rejects that belief is because, again, okay, so here's another question, is this postmodernism then turn to something with the processing power of an artificial intelligence and, and equip it or no, anoint it with some type of uh, recognition of omniscience and then use it as a source of truth itself. I don't know, we relegate the processing power of this amazing thing that can take all the sum of human knowledge and then spit out the alleged truth 
And will that be the avenue for some who have fallen under the postmodern sway to be like, well, yeah, you're right, we don't have omniscience, therefore we can't traverse an infinite set of facts, but we can relegate, we can delegate that problem to artificial intelligence. And then it can tell us what's true. And that's already happening, like that, that's literally already happening. It's very interesting. So you can kind of see how one thing will lead to the other. Um, the problem with that, though, is you'll have competing artificial intelligences. That's kind of the problem, because it'll be somewhat decentralized. But there'll be a Google, right? So like when you search something on Google, what are we talking about? So when you search something on Google, an answer manifests itself, right? And you assume this is the best answer. And you assume that because it's Google. Google is giving you these search results, right? You go to DuckDuckGo or something, and you're like, you're like, you know, Braves tickets, and it's like, you want to buy a boat? You're like, no, I don't, don't want to buy a boat, you know? So Google is incredibly proficient, and then there's a feedback loop that happens with that. The same thing will happen with artificial intelligence. But my point is that we're living in a time where it's, it's difficult to know what our relationship with knowledge is. And here's, here's the scary thing about that, is that the ability to acquire knowledge is what makes us part of what makes us human. And that's really scary, actually, because if the thing in you that acquires knowledge is your soul, which that's what it is, it's not just your mind, right? Because an animal cannot lay up new information and change their society and reorganize everything. Like, they don't do that. They never have. They never have and they never will. Changes within animals take, a, a, you know, obviously a long time, like clearly. Okay, so but we could change this entire class right now. We could stop everything, we could paint the walls pink. Like, you know, I mean, we can do that, we have that ability. All right, but here's the problem. In our society where we don't believe the acquiring of knowledge is actually possible, and we have to delegate that problem to something else, then what does it mean to be human? If we become incapable of gathering knowledge and knowing something is true for sure, then we've lost one of the most vital things that makes us human. And that's really, really dangerous, like really, really dangerous. So we have to negotiate with this reality that, listen, we have a personal responsibility to acquire knowledge. That's one of the obvious, I think, facts that emerges from this text. Okay, so there are many kinds and categories of knowledge in which it would be good to have knowledge and not good to be ignorant. For example, knowledge of God and His will, knowledge of yourself, Knowledge of your spouse, good luck with that. Knowledge of the objective world. So living life without acquiring a clear and certain perception of God, His will, yourself, your spouse, the objective world, uh, will inevitably lead to making poor choices in those areas. And yet, here's the ironic part, is that you were born without this knowledge. So this is where your personal responsibility comes into play. So this verse presumes that you and I have a personal responsibility to seek out the knowledge that our soul is capable of storing up and laying up and using to make our life what it's supposed to be. So you're not born with this knowledge. This is another thing that clashes with modern society. We're telling our children that they're almost complete in themselves, right? That they basically are born complete. We tell them that they're perfect and they're incredible and that, hey, don't, don't worry about this person teaching you how to live or teaching you how to act or correcting you. Just we say things like, follow your heart. So here's, here's what that idea means. That means that all of the knowledge that you need is within your own self. You know what that is? That is an appeal to instinct. That is a return to an animal nature. So that is, there's no other, I saw a guy walking down the street. He had an Adidas shirt on. And on, on the, it was a black shirt with blue letters. And it said, always follow your instinct. 
always fun. I thought, always? <laughs> like, like, what do you mean by always? Like, every single time, follow your instinct? Could there be worse possible advice than always? Always follow your instincts? No, don't follow your instinct. There's no difference <clears throat> between follow your heart and always follow your instinct. It's like Walt Disney's way of saying, be an animal. Like, that, that's all it is. It's a cute, punny kind of way of saying, hey, just do whatever an animal would do. There's no difference, okay? So, like, this idea that this knowledge is already inside of you and you just have to kind of let it emerge and follow it is a ridiculous idea to us, of course, and the Bible agrees with that. All right, so this is knowledge that must be acquired. It's knowledge that you don't have already. It has to be sought out and sought after. So we could say this. Ignorance, then, by birth is a condition, but ignorance in life is a choice. So ignorance by birth is a condition, but ignorance in life is a choice. Is a choice. Now, just for clarification, not all ignorance is bad. There's some things, amen, there's some things that it's good for you to be ignorant of, right? Um, ignorance of good produces bad, but ignorance of bad, in some cases, produces good. Adam and Eve would have been better off not gaining the knowledge of good and evil. The verse is not saying that all knowledge is good. As we'll explain, it means that if your soul is without the proper knowledge it needs to make proper decisions, you'll end up making bad ones instead. But because I have a personal responsibility to make good choices, then I have a personal responsibility to seek out the knowledge that helps me make those good choices. So if I choose ignorance of information and instruction, there's an implication, all right? So that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. The second phrase is this, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. So we start to see the implications of ignorance. The first one is that the ignorant man hastens with his feet and he sins. That's really interesting. That word haste obviously means to press or to hurry. Now here's the connection between the two statements. The ignorant man has no knowledge, and because he has no knowledge, he is rash. He rushes through life making decisions and performing actions without really understanding what he's doing. So his hastiness is predicated on his ignorance. So he doesn't know anything. So when a decision comes about, he can't just, I don't know, flip through the file cabinet of all of his knowledge and say, well, here's what I should do. He doesn't do that. He just appeals to his heart or his instinct or his impulsiveness, and he just rashly does something. And that rashness is predicated on his ignorance. So what that means is that impulsiveness is a derivative of ignorance. Ignorance leads to impulsiveness. I've seen many, many people who, for example, quit drinking alcohol simply because they educated themselves on the effects of alcohol. So they simply look, here are the effects of drinking and go, oh my goodness, I do not want those effects. I'm going to quit. What is that? Okay, so the reverse is, that was the ignorance that led to the impulsiveness. And the knowledge was gained that then restrained the impulsive behavior. So we shouldn't be surprised when that happens. Like, that's exactly how it works. That's how we change, one of the ways that we change. All right, so this is impulsiveness. So we could say this, there's two, maybe more, basic ways of making decisions. This is really important, whether, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're arguing with your wife, if you're trying to buy a car, like whatever it is, um, there's two basic ways of making decisions, instinct or instruction. 
instinct or instructions. Basically, the two categories of decision making. Instinct is based on impulse. An impulse doesn't care about knowledge, only what it feels like doing, by definition. Your impulse doesn't consult what you know when it seeks to, exer seeks to exercise itself in the world. It's just like, I mean, I want to do this thing. And you can throw up your knowledge sometimes up against it. Your impulse is like, I don't care. I don't care that you've already hit your calorie limit for the day. That donut is stinking delicious. And I want to eat it. Okay, so sometimes even there's this battle between, obviously, your knowledge and your impulse. That's how strong the impulse is. And that's how much your impulse is willing to completely ignore the knowledge that you do have, which is really incredible. So instruction, though, is based on knowledge. It's decision-making based on facts, not feelings. And we hear that a lot in our modern time. And I think sometimes we downplay feelings maybe too much. It's really hard to separate facts from feelings. You can't be completely like uh, a Zen Buddhist about every possible fact. Like you're going to feel something about a fact. So the doctor comes in and says, I mean, look, you got cancer. You know, and he starts crying. He's like, hey, listen, man. I mean, this is about facts, not feelings. Like, what's your problem? It's like, well, no, facts produce feelings, and that's true. But the problem is, what should our decisions be predicated on? That's the difference. So you have feelings. You should not ignore them, right? Your feelings are information to some extent, but they're a low-resolution form of information. <laughs> so just because you feel scared doesn't mean there's something to be scared of. Just because you feel sad doesn't mean that the facts of your life as such demand sadness. Doesn't matter. Doesn't mean that. You could sit down and purposefully engage with certain facts and bring yourself out of that sadness. People do this all the time. They sit down and write a blessings list or something. So they're feeling sad. They can't really determine why. They sit down, start writing down all the reasons they should be grateful, and it changes their mood. The knowledge that they have of good then changes their mood. Okay, so you can't predicate your life on how you feel just because it's low resolution. It doesn't mean that you throw it away and say feelings don't matter at all. That's not true. We're not robots, right? That's, again, a form of inhumanism. But the point is, how do we make decisions? And the ignorant person, listen to me, the ignorant man makes decisions based on impulse and not based upon knowledge, a clear and certain perception of that which exists or is true or factual, because that's all he has. All he has is impulse. He doesn't have knowledge. He hasn't put in the work to acquire the knowledge needed to make good decisions. It's easier just to rely on impulse, and maybe we call it intuition. Maybe we call it discernment. Maybe we get spooky about it. This is the Christian version. We Christianize ignorance and call it discernment. That's what we do. Like, well, I mean, why are you making that decision? Well, I just feel led in my spirit. What, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? If you can't substantiate that, and I'm not saying there aren't cases of intuition. There, cer there certainly are. There's cases where the Holy Spirit can prod you in a way, and you, you really can't maybe express that in words. I'll give this kind of a silly example in a way, but I was outside. Addie was asleep on the bed. Kids were in the backyard playing. And I'm working outside or something, and I just felt this thing in my heart that said, you need to go check on the baby. So I go inside hurriedly, as fast as I can, go check on the baby. She is actively falling off the bed, like actively like this. I rush over and grab her right before she falls off the bed. Like that's the Holy Spirit, right? I believe that that's the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm not saying that doesn't happen at all. I'm saying a lot of times we don't put in the work that we need to put in to gain the knowledge that we need to make the decision that we should make 
and we have this ignorance that leads to impulsiveness in our decision making, but we don't want to be seen as ignorant and impulsive. So we put Christian lingo over top of the ignorance and say, well, I'm just following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Did you ever think that maybe the Holy Spirit was trying to lead you to knowledge, to teach you how to make certain decisions? And don't you think that that's kind of the way that he should work? Are you going to raise your kids that way? Well, listen, I can't help you. I can't tell you what you should think and do about this. And I just want you to um, do whatever you feel like you should do in this situation. If you feel like you should punch Johnny in the face, then I mean, you should probably do it. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's like he's eight. <laughs> he's, he's eight years old. He's lost, by the way. No, he's eight years old. Okay, so a lot of times Christians, and this is, this is kind of like, we often, when we hear sermons, we apply this. Again, we talk about the culture or whatever. And we apply it to other people, this mysterious other, like, oh, yeah, they should not make decisions that way. It's like, wait a second. Christians do the same exact thing. We just call it other stuff. So a lot of times there's no difference between following the leading of the Holy Spirit and you doing what you want to do. So what is the result of the ignorant and impulsive man's hasty decision? Iniquity. Sin. Sin means to miss the mark. You didn't hit the target you were supposed to hit. Why? Because you're ignorant. And why are you ignorant? Because you haven't exercised your soul. You haven't, you haven't put in the effort that it takes to acquire the knowledge that your soul needs to make good decisions. So you're impulsive, and that impulsivity obviously leads to you missing the mark. So the ignorant man rushes headlong into decisions and actions and therefore makes mistakes inevitably and misses out on some other good thing he could have done. So we ask people sometimes, we say, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Here's the thing. It's not that they weren't necessarily thinking. I'm not saying that every impulsive action necessitates a complete lack of thought. Like, here's the thing. It's hard for ignorant people. (laughs) That's a really condescending thing to say. So think all you want. If you don't know anything, it's useless. Think all you want. If you don't know anything, it's useless. So knowledge is like the Rolodex in your mind. If they're all blank, think all you want, nothing's going to help. You have to acquire the knowledge first. You have to pack your soul, your mind. You can't pack it because it's literally endless. But you have to always be filling yourself with knowledge so you can think. If you remove stimulus from people, they get to the place where they can't think. If you remove them from social interaction, for example, they can't think. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Why is it that solitary confinement is a form of punishment? Some of us would sign up for that. You know what I mean? Put me in a cell for 23 hours. It sounds great. Get me away from everybody. All right, but why, you know, one one of the things that does is it breaks down the person's ability to think rationally. Why? Because you need input. You need input. So it's not necessarily that they weren't thinking. It's that they have very little knowledge, and the knowledge that they may have isn't enough for them to rationalize the decision. And it doesn't mean that uh, the information that they have, the little information that they have that they can think about, is a clear and certain perception of that which is good. Okay, so what is the cause of the iniquity in this passage? Well, it's impulsiveness. But what's the cause of the impulsiveness? That's ignorance. What's the cause of the ignorance? Well, a man is born ignorant. 
You're born ignorant. That's the cause is you're born not knowing what you need to know to navigate this life properly. Listen to me. You were born without that knowledge, period. That puts a personal responsibility on you and me to gain the knowledge that we need. I'd say this. Knowledge is the buffer between impulse and action. Knowledge is the buffer between impulse and action. Everybody has the same impulses. We talk about impulse control. What is it that controls your impulse? To some extent, I'm not saying it's the only thing, but it's knowledge. So the person who's struggling to drink alcohol, but they've read the terrible effects of it, and they've educated themselves on that. When they feel the impulse to drink, they usually resort back to that knowledge and say, I don't want to drink because of this effect, because I know what will happen. Knowledge is the buffer between impulse and action. Somebody said this, impulse is the helmsman of the ignorant soul. Love that. Impulse is the helmsman of the ignorant soul. So a question could be this, listen to me. If knowledge isn't making your decision in an area of life, then what is? If your decision isn't based on knowledge, then what's it based on? What is it based on? If you hasten through a domain of your life without the proper knowledge about that domain, you're just following your impulses and you're more likely to make mistakes. Now, here's one thing that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that you always have the convenience of acquiring all knowledge necessary before you perform a certain task, like marriage. So you read all the books you want, right? And you should. You definitely should. You, you should acquire all the information you possibly can. But that doesn't mean that you can avoid all mistakes by acquiring the knowledge beforehand. There's such a thing as experiential knowledge, and you have to throw up your alleged knowledge up against the wall of reality and see what sticks, right? You have to do that. That's a spaghetti analogy, by the way, in case you're like, why would you throw something up against the wall? Anyway, so the Bible says, Proverbs 24, 27, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterwards build thine house. So knowledge is a lifelong journey of acquisition, adaptation, and action. You acquire it, you adapt it, and you adapt to it, and then you act it out in the world. I mean, why else do we put our children in school? I mean, part of the reason we put our kids in school is to temper their impulses with knowledge. That's the purpose of education to some extent. So a child doesn't think before they act. They simply act. They follow their instincts and their impulses. Why? Because they lack knowledge. So they misbehave like every 20 seconds or something. Um, the preacher's homiletical commentary says, A child will play with gunpowder with as little hesitation as he would with common dust. But a man would not do so because he knows what the consequence would be if it ignited. It's the ignorance that leads to the impulsiveness. So animals, Psalm 49, 20, don't have the ability to acquire knowledge because they don't have a soul. So if a soul has no knowledge, we could say this, that is animalistic by definition. Psalmist said, man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beast that perish. So animals are instinctive and impulsive. Why? Because they have no knowledge. They're incapable of gathering knowledge because they have no soul. Therefore, the man who lives without knowledge lives as if he had no soul. He is therefore a more beast than man, not in nature but in practice. So an ignorant man makes more mistakes than a knowledgeable person because the ignorant man follows his impulses and rushes headlong and headstrong into a rash decision which produces iniquity, whereas the knowledgeable man thinks before acting and proceeds deliberately. Okay, but then here's what happens, and this is kind of hilarious in a way. 
Verse 3, the foolishness of man perverteth his way. This is a continuation of the same thought. The word perverteth there means to overthrow or corrupt. And the phrase his way is referring to his life. So this dude is self-sabotaging his own life through ignorant impulsiveness. Like he's literally overthrowing his own purposes. That's pretty sad. The foolish way of making choices through ignorance and impulsiveness leads to iniquity. Hasty and sinful choices. The consequence is a ruining of one's own life. So listen to me. This is a self-inflicted wound on his life. He messed up and is feeling the negative effects of his choice. And Solomon calls him foolish. Foolish being the opposite of wise. So wisdom is the result of understanding and applying knowledge. This man has no knowledge, the basic building block of wisdom. So therefore, he can't ever hope to be wise. Therefore, he's a fool. And this fool follows his impulses. A fool follows his heart. And then he's overthrown or overturned or his life is ruined by his own foolishness. But here's the the sad part. Look at the end of verse 3. And his heart fretteth against the Lord. So what that means is he self-sabotages himself through his own ignorant impulsiveness, but he doesn't blame himself. He blames God. He says, well, obviously God hates me. Obviously God has it out for me. God's the problem. It's like, no, God gave you a soul that has the ability to acquire the knowledge that you need to make good decisions. You have ignored that personal responsibility, overthrown and ruined your own life, and now... An expression of that same ignorance is your inability to accept responsibility and to blame God instead. That is a function of the same ignorance. And that's very sad, and I see that all the time as a pastor. The word fretteth means to boil up. So after his way is ruined, the foolish man boils up against God. And you'd think he would realize his mistake, accept the blame, but remember, he lacks knowledge. So he doesn't know himself or God as he should, because he's still ignorant. And so his soul boils up against God for the direct result of his own action. You even see this with people where they blame fate. They blame fate. It's like, it's not fate, dude, it's you. Like, it is true, time and chance happeneth to them all. We talk about luck, and I understand, (laughs) somebody tell me one time, she won't listen to the podcast, so it's okay. But she said, don't ever say the word luck, because luck comes from Lucifer. Not true, by the way, completely and totally false. Um, That is the worst etymological explanation I've ever heard of a word in my life. And I I literally chased that rabbit, and I'm like, this rabbit doesn't even exist. Like, there is no rabbit. So, not true. But there is such a thing as time and chance. Absolutely. Not everything that happens in your life, not every single thing that happens in your life, every time you misplace your keys is God helping you avoid a wreck. Okay, just stop with that. Just stop. If that, hel- if that helps you, whatever. But I mean, I wouldn't say that that's a clear and certain perception of that which is exi- exists or is truthful or factual. So there is such a thing as time and chance. But what we do sometimes is we attribute the consequences of our own ignorance to fate or God or luck or time and chance instead of accepting responsibility for our own actions. I think one of the most obvious ways you see this is in the area of health. Somebody ignores their health for 40 years, has a stroke, and goes, I don't understand why God let this happen to me. It's like God did not stuff your face with all those cheeseburgers for 40 years. God didn't literally cram them down your throat. So it is a result of your own impulsiveness. So don't let your heart fret against the Lord for what you have allowed to overthrow 
your own life. Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. So you applying your same little old ignorant self to figuring out why this thing happened to you is not going to lead you to the actual answer. All right, a couple of things quickly. So what's the remedy? It's knowledge. Knowledge is the remedy. Now that seems simple, but there's a problem with that, which is the acquisition of knowledge is difficult. It's difficult. It's hard work. It's why we don't do it. We'd rather rely on impulse or follow our heart. So you're not going to follow the proper way by instinct. You will only follow the proper way by instruction. Psalm 119.27, David said, Make me to understand thy precepts. Verse 32, he says, I will run the way of thy commandments. So the understanding comes first, then the action. Get the knowledge and then act. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding, your innate perception, your instinct. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Joshua offended here when he made peace with the Gibeonites without consulting God. He followed his impulse. His impulse was these guys look legit. They weren't. He needed other knowledge he did not have to make the decision. He ended up doing something he should not have done. There's an old Arab proverb that says, Patience is the key of joy, but haste is the key of sorrow. Patience is the key of joy, but haste is the key of sorrow. If you're in a hurry, it's your fault. If you're in a hurry, it's your fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's your fault. It's a lack of preparation on your part. That's it. If we, we, live our, we live our life hastening through life because of our lack of diligence, discipline, and preparation. That's it. We should not be hurrying through the door on church on Sunday morning. We should not be hurrying into work on Monday morning. We shouldn't be hurrying to get here and hurrying to get there. That's a lack of the discipline of my soul, essentially, is what that is. So therefore, we see the primacy of gathering knowledge. Why? Because we have decisions to make. We have choices to make and lives to live, and we must be guided by more than mere impulse. If we become slaves to our instincts and impulses, we are no better than the beasts that perish. Solomon said in Proverbs 4, 6, he says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom with all thy getting. Get understanding. So knowledge must be acquired and applied. We need to keep in mind that the man who does, excuse me, we need to keep in mind that the man who knows but does not act in agreement with that knowledge is no different than if he were ignorant altogether. See, the crazy thing about this is the same soul that you have that has the ability to acquire knowledge also has the ability to ignore the knowledge that it has and act on impulse anyway. So it doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are if you don't act in agreement with the knowledge that you have. So you can know everything you can about health, but if you stuff your face with those cheeseburgers for 40 years, you'll have the same stroke as the other guy. It doesn't matter how knowledgeable you are. But the knowledge that you acquire, to some extent, acts as a buffer between impulse and action. So, we need to get busy acquiring the knowledge that we need to make good decisions. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and follow to get new episodes sent directly to your phone every single Tuesday. Find us on social media at the Zach Evans Podcast. God bless. (music) 